You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. together again and i am glenda geek in ocala florida and i'm jamie jennings in norman oklahoma you're listening to horses in the morning on the horse radio network for wednesday october 18th episode 3287 brought to you by kevin equine good morning horse world it's wednesday morning that means jamie and glenn are back to talk horses with all of you Well, let's be honest. Jamie talks horses. Glenn is just here to hassle Jamie. Enjoy the show. And boy, have I missed missed hassling Jamie over the last couple of weeks. But I can get it all back. I can get it all in today in one shot. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Get caught up. I mean, do your best or worst. (laughs) We're going to go around the world today as we talk about rescued horses in Mozambique. And we talk about, uh, can you say it for me? Shavalsky. Shavalsky horses and their patterns of migration. And it's Herzowalski. Shavalsky. Also, uh, we got some weird news. Have you been piling them up? Oh my God. I've been gone three (laughs) weeks of weird news. So, yes, we have a few. And then in the Auditor Post show, we'll spend more time just getting caught up after the break. We haven't talked to each other. So, we we have a lot of catching up to do in the Auditor Post show. But at first, I wanted to mention that I was at Phil's service uh, over the weekend. For those that don't know, uh, Philip Parks passed away. He's the host of the Dressage show for 11 years with Reese Koffler Stanfield and a good friend of ours. And he passed away unexpectedly at the age of 41, uh, had a massive stroke, which was the result of a tumor that they didn't know about, that he had no idea he had in his brain. So um, we went up to Canada. We flew to Toronto, Reese and I, and went to the service over the weekend, which was absolutely lovely. But on Saturday, service was on Sunday, and on Saturday, we spent the entire day with Phil's wife, Meredith, who we've known really well as as well. Uh, Reese and Philip and Meredith and Reese's husband have all traveled together all kinds of places, and we're just good friends. So we spent the day trying to keep Meredith's mind off things on Saturday, and we went to her barn where Phil has his horse. We needed to meet Phil's new baby horse, and uh, Meredith wanted us to meet it. And then we met the girls that were at the barn, and oh my God, I know how they survive the winters in Canada now at the barn. How? We walk in the tack room, and they each have cubbies, cubby holes. And in each of the cubby holes, there's about five different brands of whiskey or other beverages. Um, and we partaked at about 9.30 in the morning, and I got to try maple whiskey for the first time. Uh, oh, how, is, how'd that go? Oh, it's so good. I could have drank the whole bottle. And I don't drink whiskey straight up. You know me, I'm a whiskey sour guy. But this whiskey was so smooth and tastes like so sweet. It just like was just like drinking soda pop. You're not a, a, a whiskey sour no. guy. You're like a corn syrup, yes. sugar, yes. alcohol person. Yes, and maple whiskey fit the bill perfectly. <laughs> 
<laughs> Probably Chad would hate it. Um, but that's how they survive. Is uh, a lot of drinking goes on <laughs> up there in the winters and Canada in the barns. But they were a lovely group. That's why they're all so nice. I, well, that could be true. And by the way, everybody we met was so nice up there. It's Canada. I'm telling you, <laughs> everybody in Canada is like super nice. They were. And the barn group that they have there are super fun. If we had had that group on our boarding stable, it might still be open because they, they were they were a lot of fun. And then on Sunday, we did the service. There were hundreds of people there. It was standing room only and almost didn't have room for the standing room people. It was that crowded. I met many listeners, Jamie. There were a lot of listeners there. And thank you to everybody mm-hmm. who came out for a service. It was lovely. Um, and I got to meet a lot of listeners. And we had a ton of comments, probably... I don't know, 70, 80 people comment on the tribute that Reese and I did for Philip and how they liked it. And they weren't even horse people. And so for everybody we met uh, over there and all the listeners that came out, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You know, it was much needed closure for Reese and I. We didn't realize we needed it, but it was it was fun to spend the weekend with Reese. And uh, we spent a lot of time talking about how Phil would have hated the whole thing and he would have told us to get on with our lives because that's the way Phil was. Uh, but, he, you know, there, there's, it was just interesting to meet so many of his friends and his horsey friends and other friends as well. So thank you to Reese for going with me and for, uh, for, for making the weekend at least somewhat enjoyable. Well, I'm glad you did. Yep. It was, it was, it was good. All right. Let's do some daily winnies. All right, I'm just going to give a blanket happy birthday to everybody I missed in the last week or 10 days. So happy birthday to you all. I'm sorry I missed you individually, uh, but Facebook wouldn't allow me to go back that far. So oh. so, uh, so a happy birthday to the ones that I do have that are coming up today and tomorrow. Carol Carter, Yvonne, Linda Crew, Chantel Williams, and Kristen, host of Retired Racehorse Radio. And oh, there's one other one. Happy birthday, my friend. Thanks. It's your your birthday's tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, yes. And you had a fundraiser for a a certain charity. I did, Horse and Hound Rescue. You know, it's been a couple years since I've done it, and they just put out, and and they never asked for money, ever. But they were like, hey, like on Facebook, they were like, we would need some help with some hay if anybody can help. And so I started the fundraiser. I think it was up to $800. So everybody that's donated, thank you so much. I, I I love this organization. I promise you they're amazing. There are good rescues and they're bad, and this is a great one. Well, happy birthday. And also to our new auditors that came on board in the last week or two, Jamie, Katie, and Cameron, welcome, and thank you so much for your support. We really do appreciate it. If you're not part of the auditor room yet, just search for HRN Auditors on Facebook and ask to join. Winnie's going to be tough today, actually, Glenn. I mean, it's a good thing. I just got my filly, Effie, who is, um, her name is Divine Empire. She is a daughter of Devon Air and a daughter of Pink, you know, my mare, who was a fancy warm blood as well. And I've, I've just come to the realization that she lives in a field full of geldings. And at some point, 
she's going to this spring start to, you know, mm-hmm. entice the geldings. Get interested or interesting rather. Yeah. Yes. And I, I don't have any other mares on the property anymore because Pink's not here anymore. Um, and she passed away. And so I was like, I'm going to have to keep her separated from the herd that she's like grown up in and everything. Anyway, point is, I've decided to try to find her a home and I've approached a couple different people and it just hasn't worked out. Um, but what here's, here's my I- ideal situation. Now, for those who don't know, Effie is my unbelievably well-bred, beautiful jet black, gorgeous yearling. And, uh, she broke her knee when she was a baby and, uh, while she was on stall rest or something else, broke her knee. And I had to do this like ridiculously expensive surgery to save her life, which we saved her life. And she is sound to go around. But the vet told me like pretty much she's going to be, you know, used as a, a broodmare. I, they said they told me if she's ever rideable, consider it a pleasant surprise. Well, I can see that she's never going to be rideable. I mean, that the knee has made changes and, and she's got a screw in her knee and it's a big mess. So at any rate, I'm looking for somebody uh, the first one I found was a vet tech, and the second one was actually an auditor whose husband wouldn't let her have him have her mean husband. Uh, I'm looking for somebody who has like a a breeding operation, you know, small, but has what she said. She she put it as in a really good way. She, a hard heart, and and how I mean is that I don't want to sell Effie to someone who's going to breed her until she can no longer have babies. I want somebody to breed her until she can no longer walk comfortably. And then with that hard heart, make a decision to, to, to put her down when she's no longer able to, to, to move around comfortably anymore. And I, and it sucks to say that. I mean, it's like, this is going to be like the hardest thing ever to even just give her away, but I'm not selling her. So what I want to do is I just want to give her away. If there's anybody listening who has a warm blood breeding operation who fits the bill of the realistic, you know, and, and the reason I talked to a veterinarian in vet tech was there may be some things down the road that you could do to make her more comfortable. But when you've exhausted all of that, you have to be able to make the appropriate decision for the Philly and her life. Does that make sense, Glenn? Makes perfect sense. It's it's just I can't even, like my palms are sweating even talking about it for real because like this is going to but I'm trying to be a responsible horse owner and I don't want to separate her from the herd and just keep her off by herself like she's in prison because she's a woman. Like we don't live like that, okay? <laughs> we don't imprison women because of their bodies, okay? Uh so I want to find her a place where she can go and be with a bunch of broodmares and 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 she is a yearling now and yeah, it'll be a couple years before she's ready to get in full, but I'm offering her for no money, just somebody who's going to love her and take care of her and respectfully do the right thing when it's time. Does that, okay, so enough talking about it. Anyway, point is, there you go. That's what I was going to say. My next Daily Winnie, I'm going to go on a positive note. So I got my magazine. Once you adopt a horse from New Vocations, you like get on their mailing list. So I got my New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, program, I guess, magazine. And I was looking through it. And it says, have you met New Vocations 2023 ambassadors? One is named Katie Gardner, Sarah Turi, Lauren Haney, and Colleen Nolan Tran, who is an auditor and a listener. And I was like, I know her. 
her. <laughs> uh, so very cool. She's got standard breads and thoroughbreds that she's adopted from new vocations. So a bunch of graduates and there's a whole write up on her and, it, and a photo of her riding. And I just thought it was really cool. So daily winning to you. Well done. All right, we're going to hear from Kevin, and then we're going to talk to our first guest coming up. We have Mandy. She wrote a book called 104 Horses, and they run a rescue, or they run a safari, rather, in Mozambique called Mozambique Horse Safari, where you can go and ride horses and be on safari with them. But the one of the interesting stories is where they got their horses. And then over the weekend, when we were hanging around up there in Canada, talking to all the friends, a bunch of them are real adventure types. And they were talking about going on safari in Africa. And a bunch of them were saying, yes, we want to ride on safari. And then there were a few, I won't mention names, uh, there were a few who said, no way in hell, I'm not going to eat by a lion when I fall off my horse. So um, which camp are you? Oh, my God. Don't fall off. Get on that horse, not run that hippo. Let's go. <laughs> okay. You're I'm in, in the- man. I am. I am. I am. That is a bucket list thing is to ride horses uh, through Africa and see giraffes and hippos and, uh, you know, all the, the scary, awesome things that they all have right, to well, offer. Then I will ask her if anybody has ever fallen off and got eaten by a lion. All right. We'll find that out. For they don't talk ones. about that. No. They don't talk about Fight Club. Oh, <laughs> We've had no shortage of stress this past year, and a lot of our attention has been focused on maintaining our health and immunity. Stress and illness can actually form a vicious cycle in humans and also in horses. Elevated cortisol levels caused by stressors like extreme weather, disease, diet changes, travel, and trailering can all throw your horse's health and immune function out of whack. But did you know that you can help reduce the negative impacts of stress by feeding your horses chromium every day? By lowering the levels of stress hormone cortisol and optimizing overall energy use, feeding chromium results in improved body upkeep, health and immunity, performance, and overall well-being. To ensure you're supporting your horse, don't feed just any chromium. Feed your horse the only FDA-reviewed source of chromium on the market today, Chemtrace Chromium from Chem and Equine. Ask for it by name and stress less. Learn more about Chemtrace Chromium at Kemen.com slash Chromium EQ. That's Kemen.com slash Chromium EQ. Mandy, thank you for joining us all the way from Mozambique today. Well, thank you very much for having me, Glenn and Jamie. So Isn't te- technology amazing? We're currently talking to someone in Mozambique, Africa. Like what? This is amazing. <laughs> and your it, connection's probably better is. than ours. So. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I was a little worried today because so there's a bit of thunder. I thought, oh, my goodness, I hope this works out. Well, you sound fantastic. So you wrote a book called 104 Horses. And it, it tell us, you know, I know that you also run the Mozambique Horse Safari and really the story is how you came up with the horses for the safari. I mean, that really is where the story lies. So tell us a little about that. Well, um, well, you've read the book and you understand, you know, the politics of our country, Zimbabwe, and, uh, you know, one of the reasons that we were all kicked off our farms was sort of political. And um, what happened with us, uh, you know, we farmed in a a place called Mangura and our neighbors were barricaded in their home um, by these people. 
and um, ransacked and, and nearly lost their lives. And then we were next. But the story of the horses, um, we were kicked off the farms and then we managed to get back. And we only had six horses on our farm just for hacking. But Shah and Tersha, you know, they had quite a few horses. Shah actually used to breed them. So we managed to get our horses off and we managed to get Shah's horses. And that's really how this collection of horses started. And when your livelihood is taken away, so many people are leaving the country. You know, they have children at school, children at universities. You know, your whole life is just in tatters. Um, And horses, you know, when you're invaded, you can possibly throw your cat, your dog into the car, but um, big livestock, you obviously have to leave behind. And that's how Pat and I started to collect um, these horses. And we were unable to, to go anywhere. Our daughter was in a very important year of school, and we managed to get onto another farm because if you understand, these invasions started in one farming district, and then it would hit another. So, you know, we managed to to stay on a farm, uh, you know, about 40 kilometers away and took Shah's horses and our horses. And as people left, people called us and said, listen, you're staying. Can you take our horse? And that's very much how it started. And how many did you end up with in the end? Well, um, I'm, I must just tell you um, this. Um, do you know, it wasn't our intention to to save all these horses. Patrick was absolutely sure that when we had the election that um, Zana PF would lose and we would, you know, have a new party in and we would all go back to our farms. He, he positively. He was very positive about that. He couldn't believe that, you know, agriculture would be destroyed and the economy of the country. So he was sure we were going to go back. But then, of course, the election was lost. Mugabe won it. And then that's when I realized that we were the custodians of all these horses. And and as um, things got worse and and people had to leave, we became known as taking these, you know, these horses in. And we had six evictions. We ended up with about 250 horses. And then we ended up on the border of um, Mozambique. And um, how we survived, um, obviously, you know, we we couldn't farm anymore. But Patrick um, started a little agronomy business. Because you must understand there were still farms operating. You know, this took quite a few years for them to sort of get every farm and he did um, some agricultural data so we we had a bit of an income coming in but then that disappeared and we ended up on the border of Mozambique uh, which you can understand Mozambique had had a 20 year civil war so it was just coming out of that and we ended up on the border in Zimbabwe and then that's when the land invasion started there so we had no alternative really but to to move into Mozambique, being the nearest border for us. And so, and then is that how the horse safari business came to be? You needed something to do with all these horses, basically. (laughs) Well, you're so right. (laughs) You're so right. Turning lemons into lemonade. Well done. (laughs) And uh, I must tell you, Mozambique, as you know, countries after civil wars are not the safest places to be. Most of the Mozambicans hadn't seen a horse 
uh, before. And we we managed to to get over the border. And then um, we got involved because uh, people were looking at Mozambique as the new sort of agricultural, uh, you know, land where people, you know, could start growing sort of stuff again. So we got involved in another agricultural um, company, but that didn't work out. So, Pat, <laughs> I can't tell you, what we faced in Mozambique was a lot worse, I think, than what we faced in Zimbabwe. But uh, anyway, in desperation broke, um, Pat decided that he would come down to Vilinculo, which had an international airport. Although it's a small little place, it has an international airport. And he decided that the best thing we could do is to try and start tourism with with horses. And so he hired an old truck and he went down with seven horses while I stayed with the rest of the herd in the town of Chimoyo. And he got it going, um, and there were people flying in and out because, you know, it, it's uh, well known for its, um, you know, the beautiful island and its its diving and snorkeling. Um, but then as he got it started, the, a cyclone hit oh, in 2007 and just oh about. You have been through everything. Melancholo <laughs> off the map. But then we started again in 2008, and um and here we are in 2010, we lost half our herd with a plant poison, a, a, a plant called Crotillaria duro, which killed half our wow. herd. Some of our most beloved horses died in our arms. It was so terrible. And, and you know, there was no veterinary help um, and, and that kind of thing. So um, it took us a long time to actually find out what it was. And that was eventually found out in South Africa uh, with one of the facilities there. And a lot of wonderful people helped us through that. Well, how safe is it now for people to travel and do do your safaris? Oh, no, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And we have quite a few Americans that are brave to come here. But the good news is, is that you no longer need a visa for Mozambique. Really? Because that used to put a lot of people off. So you are very welcome in this country now. And, it's sta- and governments are more stable and all's good that way? Very much so, yes, uh, very well then, much so. Say I come to your place, which is, you know, going to take like three days of travel, but I get to you, what is my trip going to look like? What is my vacation going to look like? Well, we're beach riding for a start. So I'm in. <laughs> so We have um, horses on Benguera Island and we have horses um in Vilinculo. But you have to understand this is a small little, it's a small little place. I, I guess uh, it, it's a small fishing village, really. Um, but the islands are, are really beautiful and Vilinculo itself. So lovely, long, beautiful beach rides. And then we have the warm Indian Ocean. So a lot of swimming um, with the horses um, as well. And then we have a seven-night, eight-day itinerary and a four-night, five-day itinerary. And a lot of people who do the big game, you know, that will go to Makatu, the Botswana rides or the Tanzanian rides, will come and do time with us so that they have the game and then, you know, they have the beach. So you're you're not, you know, people think safaris, they think of games. So yours is different than that. Definitely, we haven't. We do have game in Mozambique. A lot of it was um, 
wiped out in the the civil war, as you can imagine. Um, but there's so much going on in Mozambique now. So many conservation projects, um, you know, peace parks, and and various others. A lot of money coming in, translocation of um, game. And this morning, I've just met a whole lot of Americans. Actually, they're ex-military, but they are here helping with the anti-poaching. Oh, good. And um, and also a lovely guy from Virginia. Uh, who has a horse farm there, and he is uh, responsible for trying to fund these projects. So that's all good. Um, it really is. So do you? So the horses that you're using now, some of them are are still from the rescues. And do you? Uh, did I read that you also have a breeding uh, program too? Yes, we did. We have started breeding here. Um, because obviously it's very difficult to buy horses here. If you you know if you have to bring a horse in, it has to come in from South Africa, um, and you know we are are miles away from from the borders. So we have we bought some boar pets and we have started breeding. Um, we've got some beautiful foals, and uh, but sadly we've just lost with six horses with African horse sickness, which I'm sure you know. Yeah, uh, that's why we can't well. export horses from there. Yeah, we don't have to have our board pads. We want some. We just can't <laughs> oh, get them. They're really beautiful. They, 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 we, so we've got some absolutely lovely horses um, coming on. Yeah, uh, the things you know, it's quite difficult. I mean, you can't get a thing for a horse here, but um, we do manage. Uh, we have to cut all our grass because we can't graze them. You know, because of that plant poison, uh, the Crotalaria duro. So. Um, we cut our hay, and um, and our food we get locally. It's maize, a maize bran, uh, which is sort of locally grown. So that's easy, you know, for us. And then we just sort of put additives, vitamins, and oil, so, sunflower oil. So oh. anybody over here who's complaining because their, their their horse has a tiny abscess or something <laughs> like that, and they can't ride for a couple of days, think of this story. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my gosh, you're a superwoman. Yes. But you must be very grateful, you know, of what you have there, you know, vets and things. Pat and I have had to, you know, do a lot of veterinary, you know, ourselves. Um, Charlotte, who works with us, I mean, you know, we have to inject all our horses. We, you know, we do everything for them. And, and then we have to bring a vet in if we have something sort of serious, um, you know, surgery or that kind of thing. But you learn a lot. Because yeah, it, you yeah. learn by doing because it's like, uh, who am I going to call? <laughs> Nobody. Okay, great. Yeah, it's a bit like that. I but- say, I, this is what I say. I, you're like, Today is one of those days I have to put my big girl pants on. You know, like you just got to just be a grown yeah. up and just get, put, get your hands dirty. I don't dirty. think Mandy ever took her big girl pants off in the I last know, 30 right? years. <laughs> I don't think so. But it is the most beautiful um, country. It really is. And um, and tourism really, it, it's, it's really, I think, becoming, before, I think, you know, with the stories of the Civil War and that kind of thing, it was sort of looked upon as a place that you, you know, you'd have to be pretty brave to go to. But it's it really has opened up to tourism. And, uh, you know, they really are doing their best. And scrapping the visa has been one of the best things because, you know, nobody likes sending their passport to Washington or whatever and somebody sits on it for two weeks, you know, while you get a visa. Yeah. So that's brilliant. It costs $11 to come in. That's uh, the immigration fee. And I, I think that's just revolutionized tourism. 
So well, we've seen a you know a huge increase. If you want to read, so, if you want to read about the whole story and get a lot more background than we have time to cover today, the book is called One Hundred Four Horses." I've seen it. I took a look here, and you can buy it everywhere. Um, and you know, you need to take a read of this. It is a fascinating book, and and thank you for for doing what you have to save horses that would not have been saved. I'm so amazed you've actually, you know, seen the book. I'm, I'm blown away by it because I, I just don't, you know, you sort of, we live in a sort of a little bubble here and um, I'm just amazed. Uh, I, I mean, how did you hear about us? I think uh, they saw it on Amazon. Okay, I just Amazing. put it in my Amazon shopping yep, cart. That's so. where Thank we you. saw it. I think uh, <laughs> Ashley, who books our guests, that's where she saw it. Well, that's so kind of you. And I really am humbled that you... You know, wanted to talk to me. I well, really am. Well, if somebody oh. wants to actually go ride on the beach in Africa, where do they go to book a safari with you? Well, our, our website. So if you go at our website, info at Mozambique Horse Safari. Um, and it's quite an easy flight because, you know, we do have an international airport. It's quite small, but, I mean, you know, it's direct flights from Johannesburg. So our guests fly, obviously, from their countries to Johannesburg, and then it's an hour and a half to Vilanculo. Very good. Well, we do appreciate American you joining Airlines us. American Airlines flies there. Do they? I'm, I'm well, really? I hope you're going yeah. to come and see us. There you um, go. You'll have to come and see us. Okay. Done. I'm, I'm coming. <laughs> That's great. Well, it's been delightful talking to you and uh, good luck on everything. And if, if I was right next to you, I'd give you a big old hug because you're like a superhero. You're amazing. Oh, Jamie, that's very sweet of you. Very kind. Thank you. Thank you, but, Mandy. Um, I'm no hero. I promise you. This Horse Health Report is brought to you by Daily Dose Equine, non-GMO core nutrition for horses and ponies of all ages. And I would like to welcome to the show Kata. She's a Hungarian scientist who has been studying the Shavalsky's horses with drones. So hi, Kata. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, Glenn and I argue about the pronunciation. Did I say it right? Uh, yes, it is, it is right. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me. Oh my gosh, this is amazing! Now, you know what? I'm, I'm reading all of this information about all the things you've done, and I don't speak that language. So, <laughs> with high spatiotemporal resolution, all that doesn't make sense to me. So, basically, you studied the probably the coolest horses on the planet with drones. So, just tell us what you did and why you did it. Well, uh, our first idea was to observe the collective movement of the Przewalski's horses because in Hungary, in the Hortobai National Park, there is a quite large herd of Przewalski's horses. Uh, it's uh, almost 300 individuals in, in one large herd. Wow. And, and they live in a, in a very uh, natural in, environment. Um, it's fast, of course, uh, but... Um, it's quite large area, so the horses can roam uh, where they, they would like to. They found their food and water uh, on themselves. So it's very, very, very natural uh, herd. And, and we were interested in the movement and the collective behavior of, of this large herd because we knew that uh, it is composed of harems, uh, of smaller subgroups. So, so the whole uh, herd is, is composed of, of these little subgroups, the harems and the bachelor groups. Um, it's a very complex society. And we were interested how this complex society moves together and what, and what we can say about their social relationships or, or social structures. 
I mean, so so the Chavalsky's horses are how many year? I mean, thousands and thousands, like a million years old. How old is this breed? Um, the Chavalsky's horse is uh, is the last uh, surviving subspecies of the of the ancient wild horses, uh, which once inhabited the the whole Eurasian uh, steppes. Uh, so it is the only one, the only subspecies which survived to our days and are still uh, wild and and um, now uh, they're uh, native to Mon- Mongolia and they live totally wild there. So there's a herd in Hungary, but is it just a preservation situation or are they indigenous? Uh, it's just a preservation, uh, j- just to preserve the uh, these subspecies, uh, and it's also for for um, uh, managing the the uh, ecosystem uh, with the grazing of the horses and and uh, the as they walk through the area and graze the area, they manage the the nature ecosystem. So, so they are not he- native. Gotcha. So we we call them herds. You guys call them harems. Um, and then so you were studying uh, the the movement of all of it with these drones. Did the did did the drones bother the horses at all? Uh, during uh, our observations, which which we analyzed in, in this paper, uh, I can say that the the drones didn't bother them at all. But we started uh, drone experiments a lot earlier, like five years uh, earlier than, than these uh, observations, what we j- just published here. So at the beginning, of course, uh, the horses ran away from the drones. But after several years, they just got used to it. And, and now they, they totally don't care about the drones. So they don't look up. They don't change their behavior of movement when, when the drones are above them. So what are some of the things that you guys noticed with these horses? We we noticed that uh, their society is, is very very complex, uh, even more complex than we uh, thought earlier. Um, of course, we knew that uh, there are these harm groups inside the whole uh, herd, but we didn't know uh, what are the bonds between the harms, what are the the connections between them, what what brings them together in this large herd, uh, and. And based on these uh, these results, we can say that that also the kinship is very important between between the individuals. Um, they they know uh, who is genetically related uh, with them, and also the familiarity, uh, like um, how long uh, they knew uh, each other. So it's it's like kind of a friendship. This is, I mean, this is a paper that I would love to study because I think all of us that have horses probably often wonder, how come he likes that one more than that one? And what's the connection to that? But here's the question is, how did you identify each horse? Because, my God, they all look exactly alike. (laughs) 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 Yes, uh, they are very similar, but... Uh, but there are little differences be- between between uh, the individuals, so it was quite difficult because they are, they are not marked, uh, so they don't have a number or or something like this. Uh, so we have to uh, recognize them just based on the natural colorings and natural characteristics. Uh, uh, it was not an easy task, but but we could do it. <laughs> Did you do flashcards with like this one over here? He's got a little bit lighter coat than this one so you have the flashcards that's number four to that is crazy that has got to be so hard um so i mean i have three bay horses in my pasture and i'm like which one is that (laughs) (laughs) so that's amazing so so in all the things that you studied did you guys do any sort of comparison to domestic horses 
We didn't do any any comparisons with the domestic horses yet, but um, I, I think the behavior of the of the wild horses and the domestic horses should be very very similar because the, the basics of their behavior is the same. So I, I think um, if domestic horses would would let, uh, um, I mean, for the feral horses, if if they they are in a natural environment and and they they breed there. Uh, for se- uh, several generations, then they will show very similar behavior like the Pshavalski's horses. That's cool. That's cool. So um, in the world of comparing to domestic horses and all this, you guys, how many horses did you look at? I think you it said like 240 Shavalsky horses that you identified individually on the drones. Uh, yeah, that's true. We couldn't identify 240 oh. individuals. We couldn't identify the bachelors. So there were uh, 280 individuals in the reserve. So 40 of them were bachelors. We couldn't identify them. Do the bachelors you, hang like, out together or are they all just off by themselves watching TV and drinking beer? <laughs> uh, they, they form bachelor groups. Oh, so they're all together watching TV yeah. and drinking beer. It's a bunch of guys yeah. going out looking for chicks, man. What's, what's hard to understand? <laughs> then they're going to fight over a women. It's crazy. Uh, so did you guys see anything unique or interesting in the way that horses communicated with each other? Um, we didn't study their communication yet. Oh, so it's we coming just, next. We just, we just observed their, their movement. Gotcha. Well, this is awesome. Where can people go to read your study or find out more or learn about you guys and what you're doing next? The next step will be probably uh, the leadership in the herd that which animal or which animals uh, um, uh, will uh, determine the direction of where to go. Because this this herd keeps together during uh, whole day and whole year, and they move together in the in the reserve. So we are interested that ho- how they uh, decide where to go and when when to start going somewhere. Do you have a website that people can read this? Mm, we don't really have a website, but we have a video abstract in the uh, on on YouTube. Okay. So, and I'll also put a link. It was in nature.com, which is how we found it. So I'll put a link to the okay. nature.com article as well. Um, awesome. Well, God, when you when you identify another 240 and you have another study, please come back and talk to us about it. We'd appreciate it. It's awesome. <laughs> okay. Thank you. What thank a you, cool God. job. What a cool job. That's awesome. I don't know. I think I would, uh, I would, my ADD would kick in after I got to identifying horse number 40 and I'd be done. Kadia, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Non-GMO whole food nutrition is the basis of the entire Daily Dose Equine program. We never forget that natural is better and simplicity is key. Daily Dose Equine uses non-GMO whole food ingredients like alfalfa, timothy, peas, sunflower seeds, and flax. Daily Dose Equine doesn't use fillers, bulking agents, or leftovers from other industries. So you can feed less yet improve body condition and energy. And our feeds are free from chemical residues and glyphosate. Find the perfect formulation for your horse at DailyDoseEquine.com. Select Daily Dose Equine formulations are available nationwide through Chewy.com and TractorSupply.com. Wow, we've had some fascinating guests on the show today. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I just, like, I, I mean... 
it, it hit me like halfway through. I'm like, wait a second. All of these horses are exact. It's not like there's a gray and a pinto. Right. Like when you're looking at mild Mustang herds, they're all dead. These horses all look alike. <laughs> and they're watching like, them from a drone. I was glad uh-huh. you asked the question about whether they freaked out at the drone. Um, I never even thought about that. I thought the drone would be just so high up they didn't even see it. But apparently they just got used to it. Yeah, just just get it figured out. I just I, I would love to see how it ties in because you know when as as a Monty Roberts trainer, like we do a lot of studying the very very beginning of horses and the behaviors and the genetic DNA that they have, and it's interesting to see that she said that like if you just put a bunch of horses out together. And and let them be wild like Mustangs. They're all going to communicate and move around just like the Chevalsky's horses, which are like a million years old. So I, it's just so interesting how horses talk. I would love to read the study and uh, I'll just have to have Google translate. Yeah, I was just going to say. Gonna... the <laughs> words that I don't know. Google, I guess I would have to be like Google Dictionary. <laughs> I did try and look over the conclusions and everything. And I just, uh, I didn't go to college. So the words were way too big for me. <laughs> Me too. I didn't go to college either. I didn't finish. I did go. Points for showing up. Uh- <laughs> you know what we both know how to do, though, and that's shop. And uh, you can do that right now at statelinetech.com. They have their fall products that have just arrived. And if you go to their website right now, you're going to see a, ball, a big banner at the top that says, Fall has arrived. They have their turnout blankets and sheets. And when I went there, there are nine pages, which means there are hundreds of turnout blankets and sheets you can choose from. It's not like the old days where you bought a canvas blanket and that was it. Uh, there's a little more choice now from Tough One to Weatherbeta, a lot of different Weatherbeta, Amigo, Amigo, Rambo, all the different Gatsby, Rhino. So you got all the price points, all the price points, all the different qualities, all the different colors now that you can choose from anything from full all the way to draft horse. They have them in stock. Go check it out now at statelinetech.com. And remember, usually when you sell out of blankets, that's all the blankets you have for the season. So get your orders in early. I mean, look. You're going to get out the blanket. It's going to have 50 holes from last year because last year was such a horrific winter. You might as well just buy the new one now. StatelineTech.com. I think there's something that we haven't done in a while. Do you want to do it? I don't know if I'm mentally prepared. I have been sifting through stories for days. (laughs) Time to learn why some days you're embarrassed to be part of the human race. In Jamie's Weird News. All right. Are you ready for the list of people? Uh, basically, if you're reading a news story and you're like, well, that's that's weird. Send it to me, Jamie at horseradionetwork.com with weird news in the subject line. I will not say on the show where you get your news because it's nobody's business. But I will tell you that I missed a couple weeks because I haven't been here. So. These are the individuals that sent in weird news. Some sending in multiple. Thank you. I had like hundreds of, st- there's some weird stuff that goes on in our country, Glenn. How I narrowed <laughs> it down world. to four. I mean, in or, the world. Yeah, we're going to go all over the world. Starbright, Laurie, Jenny, Angela, Sarah, Clark, Sandy, Charlotte, Nicole, Allison, a person whose phone number uh, sent the message, but they didn't put their name. So I'm happy to give out their phone number. It's 301. Delia, Julia, Kaylin, Stephanie, Debbie, Katie, Rosemary, Margaret. 
Serenity, Rebecca, Jessica, Holly, Lauren, Casey, and my friend Glenn. Uh, so thank you to all of you. And if I miss somebody, sorry. Um, in all my travels to the airports, again. I found about 10 more and I went, oh, she's going to be all backed up. I won't bother sending them. <laughs> Send them for next week. Although I, I will probably carry on a lot of these stories as long as they're not too time constraining. But we're going to start with, um, we're going to head to California, Glenn. We're going to head to California uh, because there's a restaurant that uh, it's called Kitchen Story and it's on 16th Street in San Francisco. And they have this really cool thing for bottomless brunch. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bottomless brunch. Dear all mimosa lovers, bottomless mimosas on brunch. Like that. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I'll tell you what went wrong, Glenn. They had to make a rule. And if you know they have to make a rule, it's because this was needed to be said. Uh, at this point, when you throw up in the restaurant, they will now automatically <laughs> charge a $50 cleaning fee on your tab. <laughs> you know, mimosa is an eggs benedict, and you eat a bottomless version of both, you're going to get sick. <laughs> I mean, they had to put a sign on the door, Glenn. That's how many. How many mimosas I, do you have to drink that you're throwing up? I mean, it's Sunday morning. You're probably hungover from the night before. I'm like, oh my god, you guys! Like, okay, here's what we're gonna do. I'll meet y'all at Kitchen Story at like eleven on Sunday. Okay, okay. And then, like, I got out of bed this morning and I was like super hungover because I went out to the club last night. But I like promised I would meet you guys here, and so I like got in my car. Actually, I took an Uber because I'm gonna be drinking bottomless mimosas at Kitchen Story. So I got. All of my kids story, and I walk in the door, and I'm like having eggs Benedict, but I also decided to have some arugula avocado toast, and so I had that. And they were like bringing the mimosas, and then like all of a sudden, I just couldn't stop, and I like totally barfed all over the place. And then you know what they did? They like charged me for cleaning up my barf. I mean, it was fifty dollars on my on my check and I'm like I'm not paying that I'm like you barked everywhere so you're gonna have to pay it well I'm not gonna pay it you left arugula and avocado on the carpet okay? I feel like you I have to do it. this now <laughs> all right well we're gonna head to Minnesota that's right Minnesota we you know we visited Africa already today and there was a woman um it was actually an Iowa woman who was connecting through Minnesota when she flew in and uh, she got to she she went to Africa oh. on a safari and she um went to Africa and decided to bring home a souvenir, Glenn, oh, no. because she was going to take the souvenir home and she's done this before, not oh. with this type of animal, <laughs> but she um, likes to make jewelry. Okay. She likes no. to make necklaces and she's done it in the past with other animals, but unfortunately bringing a giant box of giraffe, giraffe fecal matter is not okay. Okay, you That's not where I thought you were going with this. <laughs> giraffe poop in a box home with you to make Giraffe poop necklaces, was it dry? which is apparently giraffe poop or it poop? looks like little horse. 
poopies that are dry and hard. Okay. I don't know. It's just a, I'm looking at a picture of horse po- of giraffe poop in a box, and it's like little goat pellets, but like giant. I guess I don't know. I can't tell how big they are. There's a sharpie next to them. I guess they're kind of small. Who wants jewelry <laughs> made out of poop? See, that is the real question. <laughs> Maybe Why would I shouldn't you want- ask that. One of our listeners is going to own ju- poop jewelry, and we'll write I to us. I totally make poop jewelry. Um, <laughs> she has made moose poop jewelry before, but you just can't bring fecal matter into the U.S. according to the Customs and Border Protection. Uh, because Can you imagine the crap these? Oh, there's a bad one. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm Next looking one. up poop jewelry because now you have me <laughs> curious. <laughs> Has anybody ever looked at real poop jewelry on Etsy? Oh my God, Etsy! They'll oh, make anything. Deer poop. Uh, here's deer poop. Here's tortoise poop. Here is dog poop. Oh God. Ugh. Um, cat oh poop jewelry. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, That's the worst smelling poop in the history of the universe. Cat poop. Fossil poop jewelry. So I guess the poop was fossils. Um, wow, you can get all kinds of poop jewelry. I'm getting grossed out. All right, you want me? You want to move on? The yeah. Okay. So so far, so far we've had people throwing up in restaurants and people making jewelry out of poop. This is weird news day. All right. Well, and um, we haven't been in Florida yet. I'm so excited. Uh, we're n- we we might not visit Florida today. Well, okay. Well, we've been all but over right the now, world, everywhere else. Let me. Let's go to Philadelphia. Uh, okay. okay? Yeah. Because first of all, let me just say, rudest fans in the world for every sporting event. You guys are the biggest jerks in the world. I hate all <laughs> Phillies fans. You guys are the worst. I, I hate knew I would rile that up. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact that we just lost. <laughs> I I'm saw this. I saw that. That's why I wrote it up. Uh, like I don't Which even team want to do lost the, story. the Braves it, lost to the Phillies. Is that what happened? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about it. We had the best record in baseball. We went down to the Phillies. <laughs> Couldn't be worse. Did anybody get hurt on the field from throwing things? Or? Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't matter because it <laughs> didn't even go long enough to matter. Anyway, I'm not bitter. But now I'm going to take a news story about a Phillies fan talking about how stupid you guys are. You're like so stupid. Ugh. Okay. So um, a man was denied entry into the Phillies game because he wanted to bring in his emotional support pet. Mm. Uh, what would you think would be an appropriate mm. emotional support animal to take to a Phillies game? None, well, because the, none. they're so <laughs> they're so rowdy. It's probably going to die of fright. Let's just um, let's just go with um dog. Just, any sporting event, you would take an emotional support animal. Well, what would be appropriate? Uh, Give me a, a well-behaved dog. A well-behaved dog. Mm. Um, unfortunately, Citizens Bank's park policy on support animals says that guide dogs, service dogs, or service animals and training are welcome. All other animals are prohibited. So, unfortunately, Wally was not allowed into the stadium. He is owned by Joy Henny of Jonestown, and um, he's got a big presence on Instagram and TikTok. What is he? He's a freaking alligator. <laughs> and he's not little. It's an alligator. It's like five It's not a baby feet. alligator? It's not a baby alligator, Glenn. It's an alligator. What, he goes strolling up to the door with the thing on a leash? I mean, how's it going to get through the turnstile? Like, hello. Um, apparently, he takes the 
uh, alligator. She takes the alligator to nursing homes where residents delight in petting it. I can't really? imagine. They that. allow that at nursing homes. Um, uh, Henny spoke to the Philadelphia Inquirer last year and said, Wally Gator helps him battle depression. And that Wally Gator, quote, likes to give hugs. Really? And he also then said, How does an alligator hug exactly? Here's the uh, here's the last thing. And he then said that the gator has never bitten anyone yet. Yet. <laughs> I guess he got it at a rescue in Florida. Of course he did. Florida yeah. got into this story there somehow. You There's your Florida. <laughs> so they turned him away at the gate to, and told him to. Would not allow him in. Mm. He's not a um, approved service animal. You know, I think that an alligator kind of fits as a Phillies fan, though, when you think about it. <laughs> Just bite them all, Wally. Go get them. If you could head I think down it's perfect. there and get on the pitching mound, that'd be great. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> We're going to go to Oklahoma, Glenn. Oh. We're going to finish the day in Oklahoma. And what's really cool about this is that we're going to go to a South Oklahoma City mobile home park. That's right. We're going to the trailer park in Oklahoma City. Why doesn't Not that it sound safe wrong. that there's any trailer parks in Oklahoma, the tornado capital of the world? I when mean, we know tornadoes why? hit the trailer park first. They're like a magnet. Why would you live in a trailer park in South Oklahoma City? That's not very far from me, and you know how the tornado alley is. It runs right through <clears throat> South Oklahoma City. So, first of all, let's just start with that. But there's something that hadn't been affected, Glenn, by the Oklahoma tornadoes, okay? Okay. Uh, because in, uh, an expert had to be hired to remove an animal that had been seen moving around the uh whole mobile home park trailer park okay they call it a mobile home park it's a trailer park uh it's it's been a, this thing's been in the neighborhood for five months and and they ain't been able to catch it glenn and what do you think is roaming around the uh mobile home park in oklahoma city an alligator you know that would be something you would only find at a Phillies game, okay. okay? But right now we're talking about um, Trevor Bonds of Redbeard Wildlife Control was called out to get rid of a thirteen-foot-long python. <laughs> I thought that was only happened in the Everglades. I'm sure somebody had it in its trailer, and it was like, "This is our pet." And all of a sudden, they're like, "We can't keep the thing in here anymore because it's 13 feet long and it's taking up our whole dang trailer." And so they let it go. And so what happened was, it's roaming around the trailer park, and staff at the of the the trailer park had been telling residents to be on the lookout because you know there's this big snake that's roaming around. And then what happened was, uh. They called Trevor Bounds of Redbeard Wildlife Control, and he came out and he said, <clears throat> y'all, this is his quote, we're talking that, again, this is the quote, we're talking that thing has been eating possums, foot-long rats, and cats. And the mouth on that thing, whew, it's the size of your foot, and when it opens up, you're going to be able to fit something pretty large in there. <laughs> They're asking people 
before this, before Travis saved the day, uh, to make sure you can't have no small children or pets running around. Here's the, the rest of his quote. He says, the constricting is what's the dangerous part, okay? You can't have small children or pets going near this thing. That's why they should have tackled this problem a whole lot sooner. Things could have gotten much worse, Glenn. Much worse. Much didn't worse. lose no babies or anything, but everybody's cat is gone, and nobody's concerned about the fact that there's foot-long rats in your neighborhood. Probably should leave that thing running around. <laughs> just makes sense. I just read a story on this this morning about the pythons in the Everglades. It is, like, totally out of control. The small animal population in the Everglades is down 80%. That's because the pythons got to eat, Glenn. You know, no rats in the Everglades. Big, you have mouth of that thing is the size of your foot. Okay? Keep your babies away. <laughs> they just caught one there that was 22 feet. Oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> this imagine? one's 16 in a trailer park in Oklahoma. He says, we've been using our thermal camera to find it because it's cold-blooded. So we just had to look for... <laughs> There's lots of places to hide at a trailer park, too. Under every trailer. Because it is cold-blooded, the thermal camera wouldn't work, work. Glenn. (laughs) And so, you know what we had to do? I never thought about that. We just had to look for an outline of him and the thermal camera. Oh, I I did say that true. Snakes don't show up on thermal cameras because they're cold-blooded. Their blood's not actually cold. That's not how that works. You know know what, Glenn? They can get up to 20. I'm still good. These are all quotes. Uh, They can get up to 24 feet long if you let them, maybe longer. And and you know what? (laughs) The body on this snake, it's like Mike Tyson's bicep, but like 13 feet long. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I looked it up. They do not show up on thermal cameras. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I learned something new today. Uh, (laughs) So when you get that python under your porch, um, you're going to have to find some other way to find it. Thermal camera won't work. The home they found him under, Glenn, is pretty long. And so we's getting two people in there, like a foot and a half crawl space to find a 13-foot snake. Okay. Yeah, that's damn near okay. damn near impossible. So when we looked underneath the floor in the home and how it created, we started seeing a bunch of carcasses of large animals. And I imagine them cats there, they put up a nasty fight. So when it's been attacked that many times and to that extent, that nice, non-aggressive paint, pet snake that we once knew is no more. This thing is dangerous No now. kidding. <laughs> Who's crawling underneath, by the way, in a tight crawl space to get the snake out? Uh, his name is Travis Bonds, Glenn, oh. and I can get you his phone number of his company. Okay? I can That's picture what him, do. actually. I can picture Travis. <laughs> I wish I got to see this guy. I don't need to see this guy. I know what he you looks like. You know exactly like. what he looks like. <laughs> hey, but let's, let's give him credit where credit's due. Neither one of us is crawling out of the house to get the python out. No, I ain't going to do mm, that. No. It's not happening. I'm burning the house down. I'm just burning it down. I'm just... You I'm know doing. what, though, Glenn? You don't want to burn your trailer down because the next trailer next door might catch on fire, too. Well, if the snake's under there, then we got them both. And do you know <laughs> that they lay 100-plus eggs every time? Uh, Which means probably only more than one python running around that trailer park. Oh, that's great. I mean, something's got to fertilize the egg, right? So, like, maybe <laughs> there's a mama and I don't know. Daddy. Is that the way snakes work? I'm not sure. Pretty sure. Pretty sure that... 
Life, ah, oh, you know, life will find a way. We all learned that in Jurassic Park. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm done. That's it. All right. Thank you, everybody, for submitting. If they want to sub- send one to you, where do they send it? Jamie at horseradionetwork.com. And uh, some of you are still sending it to Jennifer or Glenn. No, send it to J A M I E at horseradionetwork.com. Like Starbright, Laurie, Jenny, Angela, Sarah, Clark, Sandy, Charlotte, Nicole, Allison, phone number 301. Uh, you, Delia, Julia, Kaylin, Stephanie, Debbie, Katie, Rosemary, Margaret, Serenity, Rebecca, Jessica, Holly, Laureen, Casey, and Glenn. Dead. Jamie at horseradionetwork.com. Tomorrow we have the Equine Affair episode, the last one before Equine Affair happens in Massachusetts in the beginning of November. And we're going to have some more announcements on Friday about uh, Radiothon. We're going to start taking entries. We'll get you all the details about that, the webpage and all that stuff. So start thinking about your musical and or poetry and or entries for Radiothon of some sort. Uh, We have lots of prizes that we're being lined up right now. So uh, we look forward to that coming up at the end of November. Otherwise, hang around for the post show. We'll be back. Spain, neuter, gals! 